Welcome back to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. We're going to talk to Dave Purdom. He's from ESPN Chalk, kind of an expert I go to about gambling issues, about the DFS merger, DraftKings and FanDuel, two people coming together, Hatfields and McCoys. And we'll also talk about Vegas, the NHL's going there. What about the NFL, the Raiders, all of that ahead with Dave Purdom. First, a word from Elite Team Blankets. You can now save 25% off your favorite NFL and college team blankets. Denali Micro Plush NFL Team Blankets from a Northwest company made right here in the USA. They're actually two blankets sewn into one with technology keeps you comfortable in any temperature. Machine washable gets softer with each wash. Now, enter promo code TIGERS, all caps, T-I-G-E-R-S. Free shipping, 25% off. It won't last. Free shipping, 25% off at EliteTeam.com. Made right here in the USA, perfect gift for the holiday season. EliteTeam.com, the official blanket of pure fandomonium. Happy holidays. Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Special guest today, someone that I've admired for a while in covering what I think is a bigger and bigger issue in sports, gambling. I'm really lucky to have Dave Purdom from ESPN. He covers gambling for ESPN Chalk and has been a valued resource for me and so many others on what's going on in sports and gambling. Dave, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Andrew. Always enjoy talking to you. And we'll get to some specifics, of course, uh, with the merger, the big daily Mm -hmm. fantasy merger and what's going on in Vegas with NHL and the Raiders. But I guess I, I'd sort of start with giving you kind of an open blank canvas on, I know it's pretty vague, but the state of gambling and sports today. I think currently we're witnessing more momentum to expand legalized sports betting in the U.S. than we ever have since mm. the federal prohibition was put in place, certainly since then, since 1992. Um, as you know, it's been a very taboo subject for the sports leagues for right. decades. Uh, Bud C League has called it the ultimate evil being sports betting. Um, but now we're seeing a tone change. We've had Adam Silver come out and the NBA supports that uh, we need to legalize sports betting and kind of bring it out of this unregulated market. Um, we're seeing the daily fantasy companies rise to the top. We're also starting to see a lot of these things that are in-game prediction type games. There's a company called WinView, uh, Ring It. Um, there's one other one that's coming out, and and they're offering you know where you can make your picks during the game, almost play by play, and your picks become basically your fantasy team, mm-hmm. and you can put your money up and compete against other players. So, I think. But in the long term, uh, we're growing quickly towards legalization. I think we're going right now through the normalization process to kind of get people used to having more of a financial stake in sports. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Bud Selig. And in addition to my media responsibilities, I teach sports law and run a sports law program. And, yeah, it's traditionally been the Bud Selig view. It's the scourge. It's the... In fact, the first commissioner of all of sports, Judge Landis, kind of came to power after the Black Sox scandal in 1920, and he was, you know, charged with cleaning up the game. I guess, you know, and after we go through Pete Rose and we go through Alex Karras and Paul Horning and we go through Tim Donahue, what is it, Dave, about what what 
what barriers are being broken down? Is it just, hey, come on, this is not so bad? I mean, is there some inflection point that's happened in the past few years that really seems to be breaking down these walls? I think we're starting to hear more about exactly how much is wagered on mm-hmm. sports in the U.S. And when you start talking about hundreds of billions of dollars, I think the sports leagues see that uh, it's gotten to a point where it's an opportunity, um, where in years past when we didn't really have these estimates coming out, maybe we didn't know how much money was being wagered, and we still don't have exact numbers. Let's be honest here. We've been in the offshore sportsbook world, so your local bookmakers aren't exactly, you know, opening up their books and saying this right. is how much is being wagered. But, you know, I talked to one off the record, $1 billion a month during the NFL regular season is how much they're handling. Right. That's a lot. I mean, if you think that for the whole year in all uh, of sports in Nevada, four billion was wagered. So if one people or one one site was getting four uh, one billion a month, that's a lot. So I think the amount of money um, is one of the things that it is triggering this change. I also think you know the uh, acceptance and popularity uh, of daily fantasy sports has also kind of brought that uh, to the forefront. People are starting to see and question. There's a lot of hypocrisies in that stance to support, uh, you know, having a financial stake on player performance, but not on the game. What's the difference there? Uh, you and I have discussed that before. Yeah. Uh, so I do think those are the, the L. Acceptance uh, of fantasy sports. Yeah, and that segues to talking about that. I mean, you and I have talked for years about this. DraftKings and FanDuel a year ago jumped on the scene, what I said created Mindshare with their blast of advertising, barrage of advertising on all, specifically the NFL games. And they did seem like the Hatfields and McCoys, and they did seem like at each other's throats for so long. And as you reported here in mid-November, a merger. Uh, It's happening, and we'll get to sort of what it means, but how is this happening when they hated each other so much and they've gone through so much legislation, litigation, fighting, and now they end up partners? How has that happened? It's been remarkable. It has been just a huge, huge change uh, between those two companies who uh, you're accurately saying that these guys were rivals. There were uh, intense, heated uh, shouting matches at gaming conferences when mm. both of the company representatives were there. It was well known throughout the industry. Now, you mentioned the second part. They've been through so much the litigation and the lobby. They actually say when you talk to Jason Robbins, who is the CEO of DraftKings, and, and Nigel Eccles, who is the CEO of FanDuel, they think that working together on those legislative you know, issues kind of brought them closer together. They started to think, look – this guy, my competitor, is not the real the evil here. He's not the real one that's going to take us down. But these regulators and these legislators, uh, they could. So they started working together. The second part of why they had to do this is, you know, it, it was expensive. Uh, all the litigation, all the lobbying efforts cost them a lot of money, took them a toll, took a toll uh, on their bottom line. And uh, there were some nervous investors out there uh, that, you know, said, hey, look, we, we need to fix something. And the way to do this is to merge. So, you know, those are the two elements that, that kind of change. The companies start working closer together, and then they were kind of hurting on cash. They settled with uh, New York Attorney General for $12 million, $6 million per each company. 
have to pay that installment. Not that everybody has six million laying around to do it, but to have to put it in play in installments kind of signaled boy these companies are, you know, a little cash strapped at this time. So the money was also a big factor in why this had to happen. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned New York and Attorney General Schneiderman. That came out about a year ago, and we sort of followed that, and I covered that for ESPN. It's interesting that, you know, he did talk about this sort of degenerative aspect and sports addiction and compulsive behavior about fantasy sports when, you know, you and I talked about the hypocrisy. What about what about lotteries? What about all these sanctioned events from New York, such as lotteries? Was this, was this all, I mean, is it that... Um, obvious that that schneiderman's play was all a regulation angle to get his piece of the pie uh it just seemed like so so transparent all the way through it certainly seemed to be that way he had a lot of uh donors from the casino interests um, that i'm sure were in his ear a little bit about this um as far as the problem gambling uh, now that you know People bring up the lottery like you did, and there's legal clarity with the lottery uh, and all their forms of gambling. Daily Fantasy really didn't have that. They didn't really have um, extensive problem gaming, uh, you know, programs put in place uh, to to regulate that and watch for that at the time. This is the whole time they're denying that this is a form of gambling. Uh, So they didn't really – it was kind of tough for them. Well, do we put these things in place? And people say, hey, wait, I thought you weren't gambling. How can I have a gambling problem? Or, or, or you know, do we just kind of keep that down on the down low a little bit and push it to the side? And I think those factors came into play a little bit. It was kind of – I keep on telling them, you know, when people start – whether you think daily fantasy is gambling or not, and in my opinion, uh, it's not exactly slots or roulette where it's complete luck, but there's some game, gambling to it for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, um and when you keep telling people that, hey, we're not gambling, to the average person that's not real familiar with the laws, this sure does look a lot like gambling. And if I'm having somebody tell me it's not, I'm looking at them as disingenuous. And it made people mad. It rubs people the wrong way. So I think that also kind of fueled the fire for Schneiderman and everybody else that got involved. So where are we with Dan? I think the one thing we learned from Daly, at least I did, in terms of these two massive companies – at least massive in the in the market in the market share for for daily you you may correct this but i think they're about 90% of the market mm-hmm. we look at them having financial issues now that'll be helped out ameliorated with the merger but how big a business is daily fantasy i mean i think it gets so many headlines and people are into it but it's really kind of a small piece of the gambling pie isn't it oh yeah it's dwarfed by the amounts it's bet the hundreds of billions of dollars that leave to be bet uh, traditionally on point spreads and things like that, the amount you know of entry fees in daily fantasy is just completely dwarfed by that. Uh, that's you know I, the numbers are. I want to say it's five million people have played daily fantasy, and they say fifty-seven million play fantasy sports overall. So mm. it's still even a small portion uh, of the uh, fantasy world, not only the, the sports gaming world. I think what Daily's done, and I want you to comment on this, is sort of help bring down the walls a little more like we talked about the barriers. Mm-hmm. We have investment in Dan DraftKings from Major League Baseball, investment in FanDuel from the NBA, investment in DraftKings from not the NFL but two of its owners, Kraft and Jones. So obviously these leagues are embracing it because it's such a great fan engagement tool. 
I'm not sure the leagues have even called it gambling or not gambling. They just seem to like it. Or maybe they do call it not gambling because it involves uh, not team outcomes, but just player outcomes. Yeah, that's been the talking point. They they, they seem to say are against gambling on the outcome of games. Um, but, you know, daily fantasy, which hinges on, um, you know, your team of players and their statistical output, they're not as nervous about that impacting the outcome of the game. And I think that's fair. Uh, you know, it's going to be difficult to fix a game for the outcome uh, or for a fix a game for fantasy purposes, regardless. But I, I can see why, you know, it would be more difficult to uh, possibly compromise a game uh, for fantasy purposes. You'd have to wait until, you know, a tournament maybe be decided by the Monday night game or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then try to get one of the players. It, it would just be very, very difficult. Um, you know, they did. Adam Silver, I thought, really had the best kind of description of what daily fantasy is. He says, you know, I don't think it's completely sports betting. Uh, you know, all on one traditional point spread bet. I don't think it's that, but it's certainly on that spectrum at some point. Uh, so, so I agree with him right there. You know, again, the object of both games. Uh, both sports betting and, and daily fantasy. You're trying to predict the performance of players and to get those predict the correct players to gather the most points, whether it equals points to win the game or it equals points to win your fantasy contest. The, the thing you're doing is still the process you're going through is very, very similar. And that's why I definitely think it's, even if you don't want to call it a form of gambling, I definitely think it's a form of sports betting. Yeah, and I think what you've talked about with Silver, who seems to be the most progressive commissioner on this issue and others, is you know finding a way to be prepared if and when this all becomes legalized. And, mm-hmm. and a monetize, monetization angle, which of course is going to be key with all these leaks looking for new sources of revenue. I mean, that's where we're going here, correct? Oh, absolutely. They've begun partnering with um, these data companies, sports right. data companies out of Europe. Sport Radar is the most prominent one. They almost, uh, all the leagues almost have a deal with them. The page of baseball has one with uh, Bet Genius, another kind. But they're trying to get a share uh, of the data that fuels uh, sports betting and it fuels daily fantasy. So that that's what I think is probably their initial plan in terms of revenue, uh, you know, generating revenue from this. Maybe there's some marketing opportunities, advertising opportunities in the future. We'll see. But right now, those are the most, the biggest signs to me, at least, that, that they are, hey, looking at this as a potential revenue opportunity. Yeah, and speaking of these leagues, now let's talk about Vegas. Vegas, of course, the home, the symbol of gambling in the United States. Much in the news about the Raiders. Um, they've got a deal, sort of sailed through the Nevada legislature all the way to the governor's pen. Uh, no problem at all. Remains to be seen how Oakland and the NFL owners respond to that. We hear now, just today when we're recording, that Oakland's preparing an offer or has an offer ready to go with the Raiders. No word from the Raiders. Uh, you know, you haven't covered this the way I have in terms of the league and franchise relocation, but from a gambling angle, are you shocked that it looks like there's a chance this could happen with the Raiders? Is it just the next step? of the gambling transformation in this country with sports leagues? I think I'm continuing to be shocked by this just from covering it, you know, just as early as three to four years ago and reading deposition testimony from commissioner Goodell, mm-hmm. and commissioner C, we mentioned just how, you know, despised they thought about gambling and sports betting of the ultimate evil. 
it, it continues to, to shock me, even though we're four or five years down the road now. Um, Las Vegas Raiders, when they first came out, I, I was, think I was one of the crowds like, no way, that's not going to happen. Hmm. And now look how far we've came. <laughs> what do you think's done that? Well, I think Davis was pushing the issue here. Yeah. I think uh, pretty known among the ownership circles that he's kind of one of the outcasts a little bit. And, you know, he's, he's pushing the issue on this a little bit. Um, NHL moving to Las Vegas. Uh, taking a ch- chance at that market already probably uh, helped us a little bit along as well. Yeah, you bring up the NHL. This, I think that as we speak, they're working on their name. But the uh, Las mm-hmm. Vegas team starting next year, you know, what will be allowed betting-wise on the NHL team? And this, of course, a model for if and when an NFL team goes there. Absolutely. They have, NHL will have 30 days before the season kicks off next year to contact Nevada Gaming Control and request that they not offer uh, betting on their games involving the Las Vegas mm. franchise. They have not contacted. There have been no contact as early as, as, more, as recently as, as a couple weeks ago. I talked to the GC to know they haven't been heard from the NFL or the NHL on this. So the gaming interests don't think there's going to be an issue there. Uh, don't think these leagues are going to come out and say, hey, we don't want you to take bets on this game. But obviously that's in their best interest, uh, the gaming people there. So we haven't heard from the leagues on that. Um, I think it would be silly to prohibit it just because it's not going to stop anybody from betting on your game. They'll just log on to their offshore sports book uh, and place their wager that way. So uh, it's I would much rather, if I was a league commissioner, to have the money uh, going through a, a regulated environment. Yeah, I mean, it really points up something uh, you and I have talked about, I've written about, and you asked me about when we traded roles here. Uh, These leagues really need this sort of gambling czar to really delineate what what is right, what is wrong, what can be done, what can't be done. Because as soon as this NHL team goes, there's going to be a ton of questions, and maybe the NFL is waiting to see how they dip their toe in the water. Yeah, I agree. I I think you're spot on when they need somebody to really – uh, be the leader, be the, the guy on top of this that's paying attention to this. Uh, they currently at NFL currently has, I believe there's a senior counsel uh, in charge of the gaming role, but I'm sure it's one of 50 mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, elements that he has to, to look at right now. So there's a lot of questions. I think there's a, still a lot of uh, naivety about how sports betting works from the league standpoint. Um, just, it just seems silly to me that they are, uh, concerned about the legal part of sports betting, the legal market, and, and just kind of don't even worry about this massive illegal market that we have that far dwarfs the legal one. Yeah, I mean, two quick stories. One we've shared. One, I, I, when I was with the Packers, I used to call when we would have our fantasy football drafts. Two rules: we had uh, we had scouts and we had executives pick teams. Two rules. No money and no Packers drafted. But even with that, as I told you, Dave, I had to call the league. I didn't know who to call. I called a, okay. one of the lawyers I dealt with. Can we do this? And his answer ranged from we didn't even we didn't have this conversation to uh, to uh, just don't tell anyone. Um, so that's just that that fear of something kind of out of whack. And then the other story, not not with me in my experience, but just seeing. Uh, the the Tony Romo example where, you know, the fantasy football convention canceled not because of fantasy, as we just talked about, they embrace fantasy, but because 
it's connected to a casino the 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 venue was and it just seems so odd to me and now we're talking about a team in vegas absolutely it, it, i mean the, the tony romo thing was scheduled at the sands uh convention center that is uh you walk through hallways get all the way down through the venetian uh, casino where they have this bright red shiny sports book there uh, and you get to the convention center but you know it's, it's a ways away and again why is the locality of a sports book when i have one in my pocket wherever i go That's right. really matter it doesn't and i just don't i don't get that part of it yeah, and of course the Saints train every training camp at the Greenbrier, which has a massive casino. One of its features, the uh, Packers, as I know, stay overnight the night before home games next to a casino. So, yeah, there is that hypocrisy. Uh, you know, we'll leave on this, Dave. Give me, you know, as we look towards December and January, what are some what are some uh, wagers out there that you find interesting looking at the big board going forward? I always like to see who, how many people are betting on which Super Bowl pick. Uh, mm-hmm. You know that Patriots right now are the favorites. Cowboys and Seahawks are the second teams right there, real close. Those three teams. But it was kind of funny when I asked which team had uh, attracted the most bets to win the Super Bowl at this point. I mean that starts from when they put the odds up way away in the spring all the way to now, and mm-hmm. it was the four and six Green Bay Packers <laughs> have more bets to win the Super Bowl than any other team. Uh, while betting is becoming more prevalent in the U.S., I don't think we're getting much better at it. <laughs> Wait, let's let's go back. The Packers, that was before the season, or that's now when the odds have gotten much bigger? It's current, all current. the way through, all bets. Okay. Um, that started when the odds are put up. They put them up you know, as early as February, first couple weeks after the Super Bowl. So all the bets on the Super Bowl odds up until this week right now. Uh, the Green Bay Packers have more than anybody else at them. That's at multiple sports books. So. Yeah, I guess I would, I would, I would see that having been there and seen seen Packer Nation, uh, especially looking. I'm sure everyone's pronouncing them dead now, but you never know with Aaron Rodgers. So we'll see. Uh, Eighty to one right now. If you're going to play him now, grab him now. <laughs> grab him now. Eighty to one on the best or second best quarterback in the league to make the Super Bowl. Exactly. Hey, not bad. Dave, this has been great. Really a great update on sports gambling and the fantasy world and even some uh, interesting news out of Vegas right now. Uh, We'll look forward to keeping in touch with you on all these things. We'll have you back soon. Dave Purdom, ESPN Chalk, thanks. Thank you, Andrew. Happy holidays. Same to you, Dave. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.